Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Editor-at-Large of Recode. You may know me as... Oh, wait, that's the end of today's 15-second podcast. Tune in tomorrow to hear the rest of that joke. But in my spare time, I'm just a reporter, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about power change and the people you need to know. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is Jeffrey Katzenberg, someone I've known a very long time. He's the founder of Quibi Now, which is a new platform for short video episodes that launched earlier this month. We'll talk about how it's going so far in an unexpected timing of the launch in the middle of the international coronavirus crisis. Jeffrey is also the co-founder and former CEO of DreamWorks Animation and was the chairman of Walt Disney Studios during the so-called Disney Renaissance in the late 1980s and the early 1990s. Jeffrey, welcome to Recode Decode. Thanks. Happy to be with you, Cara, and glad uh, everybody is uh, healthy and safe. Yes, and you're broadcasting from Los Angeles, from home? I am, from home. Day number 30. <laughs> Day number 30. Uh, so I want to get into Quibi in a second. I spent the weekend uh, watching it and all the various shows. I, I like it quite a lot. Uh, you've got a range of opinions about it. I think it's pretty good. Talk a little bit about what Quibi is so people who haven't used it. You've been interviewed by lots of people, including Peter Kafka from our other show. So talk a little bit about what it is for those who don't know. Sure. So maybe it's actually to sort of talk about Genesis, right? Always good. Like what was the sort of catalyst of how we arrived here? So like so many people, uh, you know, literally billions, um, for the last six, eight, 10 years, I had been watching an amazing uh, growth of this incredible world of on-the-go mobile viewing, driven primarily by YouTube. But then we've now seen many great iterations on that. Uh, whether it's uh, IGTV or Snapchat, uh, TikTok, all of these have uh, frankly fascinated and entertained me and I continue to be a giant fan of them. But as you know, my roots are in traditional storytelling. You know, I've spent now four plus decades in the world of movies and television and animation. And, uh, and I started to think uh, a number of years ago what would happen if we converge those two ideas together? What would happen if we could bring the best storytellers, both behind the camera and in front of the camera, create what would actually be a sort of next generation of storytelling film narrative, make it beautiful on a telephone because Steve Jobs, the greatest industrial designer of our lifetime, when he created this device 13 years ago, he actually never thought about it as a TV device because mm -hmm. Qualcomm hadn't invented the chip yet. You couldn't actually stream video on the device. And so it was a telephone and it was a camera and it was for listening to music and it was for text on the Internet. But it was never designed as a TV set. And so I think there's been a lot of compromise about what video looks like up till now. Um, different people have gotten different parts of it right 
And so it was the convergence of those two sort of ideas together that really was the catalyst for Quibi. So you and I actually talked about it in a in a restaurant in Los Angeles, in a deli. Uh, yes, we did. Snake one, Nails, one of my right? favorites, yes. <laughs> um, and we were talking about the idea. And one of the questions I had initially when you were going to do this, I was first surprised, one, not completely, because you, you know, you're very interested in quality and beauty of, of the, the way things look. But one of the discussions we had at the time you may not have remembered is why YouTube wasn't doing this. Like that this was the opportunity. I had always thought there should be more professional YouTube, one that wasn't quite user generated, that was more professional, that never really happened. Um, you know, obviously uh, Hulu and others tried to do the more typical television. It was just essentially television or movies online. Um, Netflix obviously had not gotten as big as it was. But at the time, I always, when you were talking about this idea of short form and spending a lot of money on it, I was sort of interested in the idea of why YouTube had never done that because they yeah. seemed to be in the best position. Because that's where my kids watch these sure. shorter form things. Well, to, interestingly, they're one of our biggest supporters. Mm-hmm. They've been, a, you know, uh, from day one. Uh, there isn't a company that has actually done more to help Quibi get off the ground mm-hmm. than Google. And literally, whether it's the tech stack, whether it's uh, our cloud, whether it this is, is on Android. Our, this is because of Android. Yeah, well, but just across the board, they actually uh, have been a very important partner, our uh, uh some of our ad products. I mean, they've done everything they could to support this. And I think uh, I think there's a recognition here that this is actually different from what they do. Mm-hmm. And that kind of was my point. I'm not saying it's better or worse. It's just telling a two-hour movie in chapters, uh, uh, you know, and making this kind of content from this kind of talent is just not in the fundamental DNA of what YouTube is. And, you know, hard to fault it. They've got 2 billion customers watching a billion hours of content every day, growing at just an extraordinary, extraordinary pace. You know, we probably are dis- would be a distraction for them. Right, from doing that. <laughs> now, there have been just, previous Just like attempts. we would be a distraction, yeah. by the way, for Netflix. You know, I've had these conversations, you know, with, with, with both Ted and with Reed, and, you know, they are so focused on their goal, which is to get to, you know, several hundred million subscribers to what they have now and expertise and an excellence at. And, you know, which is more traditional, traditional. Right. uh, It's it's what they do to be distracted by what we do. mm -hmm. Like why? It's, you know, they might people grow grow and do things. One of the things I'm thinking of many years ago, you may not remember this, but I do. I think it was Ed Zwick and others. They did something called Quarter Life. There was all these Mm -hmm. attempts to do these sort of episodic shows that were short. I think those were 15 minutes each Mm -hmm. um, or something like that. So what did you looked at that had worked previously or may not have worked, but you thought was a good idea? Well, the the real uh, uh, lightning uh, strike for me was Brian Robbins, who had started a company called Awesomest TV in right. about 2012-ish or 13. Brian, I had known a little bit from his movie and TV career. He's actually quite successful, made, made a couple of blockbuster hits for Nickelodeon, directed an Eddie Murphy movie. And Brian had started Awesomest TV, which was for 12 to 21-year-old girls, and uh, had started to really get some growth in that business. When I, I met him, Robert Kinzel introduced me to him. And I was so impressed by what he was doing, which, by the way, was storytelling, long-form storytelling in chapters. So if you'd actually have to say, is there a person or a place or a moment in time in which you saw a version of what I was imagining, it's Brian. He's my Yoda. He was the one that really, I think, more than anything, 
crystallized it for me. You know, we talked about how, how I was impacted by Dan Brown and the Da Vinci Code, you know, which is he changed the structure of storytelling, not stories, just the way in which he did it. And, you know, 464 pages, 105 chapters, average chapter less than five pages, which is so different from how most novels are written. Most novels are 20 to 40 pages long. Yeah. And so, Although there's and with, a lot of critics that think that's schlock, but we're, we're moving on. I like it. So. Yeah, I listen, you know, there's a lot of critics that there's, we are in a world today where there's a lot of critics for everything and anything. Yeah. And I don't yeah. actually feel like that but can you're right. be no, the litmus test of good or bad. A hundred million, a hundred million people read the Da Vinci Code and enjoyed it immensely. It's one of the best selling novels of all time in it. And so. I guess traditional people would maybe have issue with it. And just like I'm sure traditional critics will have problems with Quibi. I fully expect it. It's like, you know, that's the way the world turns. All right. So this <laughs> idea is this, this that you can do these things. Your level of quality is quite high, actually, in a lot of these. Um, and some of them are schlocky in a good way. And as I was thinking of Chrissy Peake's <laughs> show or uh, The Million. Thanks a million. It reminds me of a lot of old TV, but in a short form. So the concept, the concept we had talked about, my issue when we were talking about it is the cost and the ability to make money from it. And um, the other Jeffrey, Jeffrey Zucker talked about digital dimes, um, you know, digital dimes and, uh, and analog dollars and this idea. Talk, talk to me about the economic worries of creating this stuff, because it looks beautiful. Everything looks, you know, even even the courtroom thing looks like it's supposed to look like it looks that that schlocky courtroom look. That so that's the court you TV know, has. So but but sorry, you know, like, OK, here's the you know, this is the existential thing, which is will people pay for something that is of a higher caliber and a higher quality. I'm not saying a higher caliber better because I love the TikTok and YouTube and Snapchat. I think these people have done brilliant work. It's different. And my experience and and just in terms of just my observation in life has been that if you actually give people something that is a better quality, more convenient, premium, if not luxury, there's always a subset of people that are interested in that. And so I give you a couple of examples of things. One, I'll go far afield and just say sneakers. Mm -hmm. Sneakers. I know from sneakers. You know that my kid is a sneakerhead, but go ahead. Okay, but you do know that you can actually go into any Walmart and buy a perfect pair of sneakers for $19.95. Those are the sneakers I buy, but go ahead. Yes, yes, I do, yeah. Okay, well, then you can go to... uh, Nike and get a pair of sneakers for $125 or get Air Jordans for $250. Or as your son will could lecture both I of us on you. here, mm-hmm. we could go to Supreme here in Los Angeles and get a pair for $650. Or we could go to Gucci and get a pair for $1,300 in it. Mm-hmm. There's something for everyone. There's actually no functional difference between $1,300 and $19. Well, it's drip. Apparently, it's hype beast and drip, but I don't understand those words. But people will will actually. Yes, 100%. I I get your point. I look at music. If you look at music, it's like a perfect example of this, is if you look at music eight or nine years ago, absolutely all music was available and accessible, 35 million titles. You could download any title you wanted, just punch it in, and it was instantly available to you. Here we are today. There are 300 million people paying $10 a month for the same music, right? To Apple and to Spotify. Why? Because they made it convenient. They organized it for us. They gave us playlists. They give us recommendations. And so 
the convenience is actually worth $10 a month for us. Another example, at the height of broadcast TV, which was the late 80s, early 90s, multiple TV shows had audiences of 40 million people a week. Seinfeld, Friends, ER, Home Improvement. HBO comes along and says, we're not TV, we're HBO. Mm -hmm. They didn't put it down. It just said, we're going to deliver something to you that is unique and different. So what do they do? They eliminated commercials. Um, they changed the form and format. So they were not beholden to 13, you know, to 30 minutes and 60 minutes and 13 episodes and 26 episodes. So they actually changed the type of narrative and storytelling or freed it up, I should say. Um, they had no restrictions for standards and practices. So you could have Sopranos and The Wire and Sex in the City, shows that actually couldn't even get on broadcast television. And finally, they spent money that you couldn't compete with if you were an ad-supported platform, a broadcaster. So they ordered 10 episodes of Band of Brothers over 20 years ago for $125 million, right? And, you know, suddenly had 35 million subscribers. Television was never bigger, never better, but someone came along with a premium version and it worked. And I believe the exact same thing is going to happen here, it's there. There will be some segment of the two billion. Our market, you know, if you look at our global market, it's the addressable market for us is two billion people. If we literally get a small single digit of that, we will be a wildly successful business at four dollars and ninety nine cents a month. All right. So when we were when you were getting into it, some of the worries you would read them all about Quibi. Um, were that, that there's too many of these. Disney launched its streaming service. Obviously, Netflix has one. Uh, there, uh, Hulu, um, uh, you know, YouTube has you know, premium and red and stuff. How, when you were going in, you, you had raised, what was the total? I, I wrote it down. Billion, just, billion seven. Billion seven. Billion, billion so a lot of money. Million, a lot of money, yeah, but they have yeah. much more. They have a lot more. Like, I forget, uh, Netflix is 15 billion, something like that, that they've been spending on. Disney's been spending tons of money. How did you, people were worried, they were calling the service dead on arrival when you started. And we'll get into coronavirus in, a, in the next section, but what was your biggest worry going into this? Well, I guess we see this through a kind of different lens because- mm -hmm. there, You're not it, them. There you go. There's a streaming war that is going on and there is a battle royale that is, you know, we're still in, honestly, maybe the third inning of, second inning of a nine inning game in which you are seeing these giant companies spending literally billions and billions, tens of billions of dollars. They're all competing for the same thing, Cara. They're competing for traditional television, one-hour TV shows that are viewed on a television set or some version of a TV set, which today may be your laptop or your desktop. But if you take all of those services of HBO, Netflix, Disney+, Plus, Amazon, name them all, you add them all up, less than 10% of the viewing of all of these services actually is viewed on a telephone. And I have not heard a solitary person actually say, okay, well, with all of these new subscription services going on, how many people are going to actually drop their music service? Mm-hmm. Right. You just like I haven't heard anybody in any fashion, shape or form saying with all the money that's being spent on all the streaming mm -hmm. services today for television and movies. Someone saying, well, with the success of them, it's going to 
take sure. away from because you're you're calling yourself a different cat. You're saying you're a different cat that you're you're, Cole, you're going we're for. A, we are a third vertical. Now there right. is in 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 you know you could say well is the world ready for a third vertical? Okay, and I'm my answer that. is and my answer is well that's actually been proven by YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok. Like they've already proven there is in fact a third vertical. And in fact, it's growing faster than any of the others. All right. So look at something like TikTok. Let's use that as an example. It is an entertainment in a short form entertainment, yeah. essentially. Yes. Um, how do you then, your your premise is you're going to compete via having better content. That's short, very short form, very much like Periscope or any of the others that had previously been. It just is a more successful version of it. I think we accelerate the growth. I don't think we're, I don't think Quibi is about taking market share together. If you just look at what has grown the most over the last three years, it's mobile video viewing. And by the way, in the month of March, which is going to come back to the COVID-19 conversation, it's up almost 60%. So at the very moment in time, we all went into lockdown and you would think, oh, well, we'll just watch television more because now we're at home. Well, maybe we are watching more TV, but I can tell you we're watching a lot more video on our phone right, year over year than we are television year over year. So once again, I just think when you, when you ask how do we fare in the mm-hmm. OTT battle uh, royale that is, that is going on out there in it, I actually don't even think it's relevant. I think we are, as you said, we're in a different vertical from them. All right. We're here talking to Jeffrey Katzenberg, the founder of Quibi. We're going to take a quick break and we get back. We're going to talk about coronavirus and also the launch itself. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Hey, it's Tom Warren, senior editor at The Verge here. Microsoft is in an era-defining moment. It's betting on AI as the future of work, its Xbox business is going through transformational changes, and the Mac versus PC war is about to be back on. So I'm launching a newsletter called Notepad. It'll be your inside guide to all those changes and beyond. From details on the next Xbox to that one time every Microsoft employee named Michael appeared on a mysterious email list. Whatever is happening at Microsoft, you'll be able to read about it first in Notepad every Thursday. Go subscribe now at theverge.com forward slash notepad. We're here with Jeffrey Katzenberg. He's the founder of Quibi, obviously. He's a well-known media executive for years. So when you were thinking of launching, when you were about to launch this, spending a lot of money, and obviously you hired Meg Whitman, which also I was like, Meg Whitman? All right, okay. Because um, I hadn't been in the in the media business uh, as you have for many years. You got you guys got a lot of flack like before going in here. Let's talk about that. Why do you think that was? Because it really was. I've been reading all of it. It was quite... Uh, yeah, so I... Well, first, let me uh, start here and just say... You know, Meg Whitman and I have known each other for over 35 years. We actually Mm -hmm. were at the Disney company. We overlapped for a few years together back in the Jurassic times. She Uh, was in business development, right? Yeah. And, you know, she went on to have just this incredible 10-year run at eBay. 
um, and had a moment there. I'm not exactly sure what she was thinking when she ran for governor in the state of California as a Republican. <laughs> she wanted to be governor. But, but as a Republican. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and then she, you know, when she came to HP, uh, actually DreamWorks and, uh, and by the way, when she, she was on the DreamWorks animation board. She was a board member of DreamWorks as a public company for a number of years. So we actually have quite a long history together. And I recognized at the start of this that um, I had half the equation and I didn't have the other half of the equation. The half of the equation of the content side of it, I, I, I got that. But building a platform and building a user experience and a UI and UX and data gathering and all of these things that are truly essential to this succeeding, I needed somebody who could be my partner in this. And so uh, I, I, the day she stepped down from HP, literally I saw it come across the wire, came up on my thing. Within five minutes, I called her and literally flew, to Calif- flew up to Northern California, had dinner with her that night. And so we've been together on this journey now for, for two years. Uh, and uh, she's just done an amazing, amazing job. And we get in and start talking about the platform itself and the UI that you're enjoying, uh, you know, and just building the company as the CEO and the culture of the place. Uh, she's just a rock star. All right. So why all the flack from your perspective then? And we'll talk about this lawsuit that had happened too. Um, and, you know, there was a thing around the press that was, you know, you guys attract a lot of attention. Uh, there was well, a lot of like doubt. Like I heard dead on arrival more times than any <laughs> other thing. Like I'm trying well, to think that's of a, something. Here's the thing for me, which is honestly, it's a re- re- recurring theme for me you know, for too much of my career, Mm -hmm. Tara. When you go do something that is really uh, unique and different, it by definition is going to be risky. Mm -hmm. And when you do something that's risky, it means at least there's a possibility for failure. Mm -hmm. And so rightly, there's going to be skepticism. Because there's no path, there's nothing about Quibi that you can look in the past and say, oh, well, that worked. Oh, somebody did that before. And it, this is, you know, as Meg likes to say, we're breaking new snow. You know, we're out on a path, pioneering and doing something. And so I understand the skepticism. I pay attention to it uh, and listen to it, but filter it. Because if you only use the path of, do something that is tried, true, and tested. You know, so many things that have that are in our day, in our world. What we're doing right now here today, Cara, is not possible without somebody having tried something new and different and unique. So, yes, the knives come out. Um, yes, there was skepticism there. And I'm sure there'll continue to be skepticism there. But we believe in what we're doing. And fortunately, there are enough people that have come along for the ride, the creative community here. Yeah, you've got a lot of, got a lot of big names. Everybody. There's almost nobody that isn't actually working. Were they attracted doing... to pay the payment you were doing and that you're paying more? Because, you know, Netflix is paying a lot of money, yeah. so is Disney and others. Three things, Kara, are the essence of why people, everybody has showed up to work here. First is, and I know you don't think of it this way, Northern California doesn't actually think of Hollywood as entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. But actually, every storyteller is an entrepreneur, and here's why. Then when they start out, it's a blank page or it's a blank screen, and they have an original idea, and they have to create a blueprint for that original idea, 
They then have to get a bunch of people together to believe enough in it to raise the money to actually get a shot at making that idea. Then if they do get it, then they got to put a team together to actually go make the product and then need to take it to market and some work and some don't in it. And so people here, the storytellers, the creators are actually incredibly entrepreneurial. And so when you come along with a new idea, let's tell movies and chapters, it got their interest. They were excited. They thought, okay, well, we've never done that before in it, and we'd like to try that. The second thing is, is we gave them a technology that allowed them to make something on this device that was beautiful, which was actually not possible before. And so there was a lot of resistance to just taking things that were shot to be either on a TV set or onto a movie screen and just shrinking it down and putting it on the phone. We gave them a new set of tools and a, a process, a way to go shoot their content that is not ever, no one's ever done it this way before to actually make it native, unique to the phone and make it beautiful on the phone. So they were interested in the challenge of, of that. And then the third is, is that we gave them incredible economic incentive in that for the first time in literally many, 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 many decades in Hollywood, people are actually allowed to own their IP. They own their creation. We just license it from them. We've protected Quibi in terms of the short form version of it. So we've put a moat around it so that, you know, we're, we're not going to face our own content to compete with ourselves. At Such least not as for, putting it together on Netflix or so. Yes. Like yeah. And they've done it and we've seen it and it's actually beautiful and it's quite valuable and it's different enough that we're very comfortable two years from now that being out in the marketplace. So the combination of a new creative challenge a set of tools to make it beautiful and a business arrangement that actually was compelling, if well, not- talk about that idea of owning content. I think that's where a lot of the lack of entrepreneurship comes. I'll get to the technology in a minute, but the idea that they don't own stuff, I remember sitting next to uh, the guy that did uh, Third Rock from the Sun, oh, Chuck Lorre, right? Uh -huh, sure. And I think I was, so he was sitting between me and Nikesh Aurora from Google. And, <laughs> and he was like, "What this internet thing, why did this Instagram guy get all this money? And I said, well, he invented it, he owns it. Yeah. And therefore, he gets all the money. And I said, you're a cheap date. And this guy makes a lot of money. I get that. But I was like, they send you the plane to the uh, to the Emmys. They send you the big flowers. <laughs> they send you. I said, but you made it. And you're not getting most of the economic right. benefit. ABC is or yes. wherever you put your shows. And so we had this discussion with him. And, and I was like, yeah, you're really getting screwed. And this guy is one of the most successful television producers in history, I think. I suspect and, one and, of them. And I just want to say, he is a billionaire, just so I we're know, clear. I get it. But it was like, he's not a he's not a <laughs> big a billionaire as the other okay. billionaires. So it was really it was just really <laughs> funny the discussion because he was super like we were like you don't own it and this and that. And one of the things he he then texted me later he's like just a minute I want to talk about this more and it was really interesting and I was like well you need to own it. Like you do but you don't and anyway so in any case it was just so a let funny. Me give you we, an example. Were, we were just screwing with him. But one of the things was this idea. So of I'll course. give you an example. We premiered a show today called Hashtag Free Ray Sean, mm -hmm. made by Antoine Fuqua. Mm -hmm. Did all the Equalizer movies. He's yep, one of the great true great shooters in our business. Mm -hmm. And he had a script of something that he has loved for a number of years. He couldn't get made. It's a contemporary show uh, story it's set in New Orleans. It has the sort of grittiness of Fruitville Station. And it mm -hmm. has the dynamic of an old movie many, many years ago called Dog Day Afternoon. It's a hostage mm -hmm. situation. Right. And it has a lot to say about the world that we live in today and... Black Lives Matters and a whole bunch of 
things that, you know, made it hard for him to get it made as a feature film. And he and I met early, early on. He heard about Quibi and he's one of literally the first filmmakers I sat down with. And I said to him, here's a chance for you to make it. You're not going to get the big payday up front. Mm-hmm. We'll pay you, you know, a 20 percent margin premium. So you are getting paid for your time and effort. But the real home run is if you make something great, you own it. And two years later, you can go exploit it. And he said, OK, I'm in. And so he went off to make this. He gambled on himself. This thing will premiere today. I can tell you that he has been approached by a streamer mm-hmm. that has offered to buy this for a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I mean, more money than he's made from directing any of his big blockbuster films. And so that's Why not? The, well, the danger is that you get stuff that's in their drawer that wasn't made because no, but, it wasn't but, good. You've but, been on the other end of that. Like, but that's not correct. the case because, again, Kara, you got you to remember here, which is we've given them the upside of their work. Mm-hmm. So just getting something made on Quibi isn't a win, right? You have to get it made on Quibi and it needs to be really good and success because the real payoff for you is actually on the other side of Quibi. And honestly, I think that is the most valuable thing of the arrangement that we have made with filmmakers is, is we are so aligned here, which is the bigger and better the thing is that they deliver to us, that we've taken all the risks, so there's no downside for them in mm-hmm. this. The upside is all theirs. And that's on purpose. So the upside of owning their content 100% accrues to them. By the way, it's why every studio has come in and is both an investor and a supplier to us. Let's talk about the technology. You're caught in a lawsuit with a group called Echo. Um, talk a little bit about this lawsuit. It's been written about quite a bit. And also, I'm just looking at the, you know, there's a lawsuit over the use of the technology. I think it's the flipping of the technology. You had executives, that, tech executives that were at Echo before that. You also had- No, no they weren't. Have- no, they weren't. Those are, those, you, please be very, very careful. Okay. And you you better than anybody else, okay. Carr, because- no, 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 I'm serious. Like you've right. lived in this world and 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 you have seen this pattern happen time and time and time again, which is in this case, we actually have not just a idea that was created by incredible engineers, mm-hmm. great design, great product people, people with very long histories and great reputations here. So Tom Conrad and Rob Post and Blake Barnes. And there's a list of people here who they've been doing this. And and, I mean, they've been in the world of creating and innovating around technology. They built this idea from scratch. They received patents for this. So this is not just, you can't just sit here and go, wait a minute, we do have a set of regulatory things that manage this in a big open wide world here where there's there are people that actually protect one another from people stepping on each other's toes and all of this. You can't get granted patents for something without a great deal of work being done on the patent side of this. Mm-hmm. So The fact that these people have come along at the moment in time that they have, in the manner in which they have, speaks volumes to the circumstances. So all I can say is, is that, and I want to be very careful here, which is this is something that was created within Quibi by its engineers. There has not been in any instant shape or form, 
any uh, uh, insight to their uh, proprietary mm -hmm. uh, uh, stuff that they have. It's never been shared with anybody here. Whatever they have said about various individuals, it will reveal itself that it's just factually. What does that do to your business? I was the logos are the same. Also, what? Why? Why are the logos similar between the two? The two purple. You've seen them, right? The 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 logos of Echo and Quibi are almost. I, the same. I literally have not seen an Echo logo, so I don't. I, I have okay. no idea. Well, but, they happen to so, be exactly okay. the same. What so, does it do to your business to have this happen? During this time, I, the other controversies is the people, the press leaking and Megs. I don't care. Like every company has those things. What is it going to do to your business? Nothing. Okay. Literally nothing. It's going to be do nothing to our business because there's no merit to it, and that'll reveal itself. You know, there'll be a process that will go on here, and it's a meritless claim. And you know, as always in these things, you know, we've brought in the best people in the world that are experts in this area. And we're going to let it take its course in the courts, which is where these things have to end up. But my own thing is I would say to you that I think it's a desperate move by a company that is likely in a desperate set of circumstances trying to capitalize on a moment in time in which they thought this they could leverage us, and it's just not going to happen. And you share some board members, is that correct? Or investors? You have some shared? Oh no, I think, I think so. I think with Walmart and others. But in any well, case, no, no, but does, Walmart's not an investor right. in, in us. They yeah, are an investor in them, so they're an advertiser yeah, on our yeah, platform. They're but they're not. But they're a supporter investor. of yours, correct? Um, so when you think about running these businesses, when you're doing this. The the focus will be on after this lawsuit, no matter what, is how well you do, correct? Sure. Like how you put a lot of marketing into it. You put Super Bowl ads and things like that. How is the coronavirus crisis? I mean, it's kind of, has it helped you? Has it, I, I hate, I, it's, it's a terrible thing to say, but you were launching amid a noisy marketplace. So here was the assessment that Meg and I uh, made now going back about five weeks or so ago. So we were about a month out from launch. And it was now revealing itself that this was a, a tsunami coming at us. It, it, it was not just, you know, going to be the, something the that flu. was going to... It wasn't yeah, the flu, as it It wasn't out. the flu. So if you go back to, you know, the end of February, we sat together and we talked about this and, and sort of talked about the pros and cons of, you know, how do you go forward? If you go forward, what are the alternatives to that? And I think that ultimately it came down to really sort of two kind of pivotal things around it. The first is, is that the very foundation of Quibi is based on the premise. It's literally our mission statement. If you, you know, if you look at the first words of our mission, Quibi has been created to entertain and inspire. That's our goal. That is our mission is to entertain and inspire people. And in varying degree, you you know, uh, I think we've actually succeeded. Yeah, it's not a glum service. It's not. A, it's a very light. It's a. It, there's some you know action stuff, but it's not a. I wouldn't say. I think thanks a million is really kind of the show I look at when I. Think no, but I'm just show. saying to. You, but I'm saying to you, there's whether you watch LeBron James thing for inspiration or, you know, there's a, you know, there's but it is meant as an enter to entertain and inspire, and we 
believe, whether we're right or wrong, will be proven over time here, and it is, is that it actually delivers on that promise. Now, we can argue about how much, but we think it substantially delivers on the promise to entertain and inspire people. We actually thought at this moment in time in which our lives looked at, you know, from a macro standpoint, mm-hmm. could not be more stressed or distressed. Right. Right. And so putting this into people's lives at this moment in time actually might be a good thing. Right. It's a distraction. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not going to change the course of any of this in it, but it is a distraction at a moment in time in which I'm not sure there's a one of us that wouldn't like another distraction here that entertained us or inspired us. So then the second part of it was a clear understanding and a recognition on our part that people financially were actually going to be in incredibly stressed, if not dire, circumstances. And so to ask people to pay for something in this environment was a mistake. And so the pivotal decision that we made was one, let's stay the course because we are, we could be actually a fun distraction, but let's change the business here and just say that for the next 90 days, we're just going to give it away free. Yeah, you have three months free and then it goes to four ninety nine with an ad supported. So the idea that we could give it away to everybody in any circumstance, you can go to Quibi.com or download the app. We actually thought the trade-off of those two things actually might be a, a, a good thing to do, a smart thing to do. And in the short run, obviously, um, uh, is an investment. So to give away something free that you were going to charge for, is a, there's a financial investment in that. And we looked at that and analyzed that and talked with our board about that and actually thought good investment to make for the long run, for the building of the brand, for the goodwill of the brand, for all of those things, this actually might be the right thing to do. Now, I sit here today, and I don't know whether you've seen, but Meg announced this morning, we have actually 1.7 million people have downloaded the app, which- That's the number you just released. Is unprecedented. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I know people keep saying, well, how about Disney? And I go, no, 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 no. (laughs) Disney is 100 years. They're in a different business. It's the greatest library in the history of mankind in this edit. And to even be put in the same sentence with Disney, you know, is- what are they, Flat, 50 flattering. Plus 60 million? It's, yeah, it's yeah. Flattering, but we're in a different world, a different universe. So, All right, so right now you have 1.7 million, and the idea is to keep them after the three months of sure. free to either pay yeah. 499 or 799 for an ad-free version. Yes. All right, last question in this section. So what is more important? Are the ads? The ads are pretty good. You know, I have the ad-free version, mm-hmm. and obviously I have the free version. Mm-hmm. I, got, I got it through Apple, and I know other people, you have other deals with other telephone companies and things like that, as Disney has done, as many people uh, when they're launching these things do. Is the focus to be on an ad product or a free product from your perspective? I mean, an ad-free product. We're agnostic. And that was the business model for us is, is that we, we literally, we want people to do whatever they choose to do. Our belief is, because we are, we think, um, although our, the numbers are actually slightly different than this, but I mean, we can talk about that in a second. But since we have always believed this is a millennial product and the millennial audience is going to be by far our largest customer base, we actually believe that the 499 ad-supported version is going to significantly uh, outperform the uh, 799 without ads. But just from an economic standpoint, for us, it's a level playing field. They, they are, they're each worth exactly the same amount to us. 
So we're, we're agnostic in, in, in terms of that. What I was just going to say to you, the thing that is, in addition to just having, a, uh, obviously, a lot of um, a, a great velocity here out of the box and in terms of the downloads, the mix of our demographic actually surprised us. And it's much, much more diverse, much wider than we thought. There are as many people, you know, over 40, as I don't want to say as many, but, but a significant amount of our audience is actually an older audience. And they're watching as I'm much. I'm not surprised. They're watching as much. And the thing that is crazy here, so I don't think any other service is measuring uh, one of the things. So you know that if you get on most services, if you're like on Facebook, you know, if it's if you're on for more than two seconds, that's considered a view. Or if you're on Netflix, it's two minutes is considered a view. So for Quibi, we, we're just measuring whether you watch it or not. Mm-hmm. Over 80 percent of our views are complete. They're like they're watching the whole thing. Yeah, I watch is, the whole thing. Which is well, that's what I'm saying to you. It's not like people are coming in for three minutes and leaving. In this, but that number of eighty percent completion rate is literally without precedent. All right, when we get, we're talking to Jeffrey Katzenberg. He's the founder of Quibi, um, and we're going to talk about where content is going because Jeffrey talk is that's what he's well known for. And when we get back, how content is changing. Can we talk about your favorite shows before we go do yes, that? Yes, I will. I will. I will. When okay. we come back, when we come back, <laughs> uh, we'll be back with Jeffrey Katzenberg at Quibi. We're here with Jeffrey Katzenberg. He is the CEO and founder of Quibi. Um, which is a new service, streaming service, which I have signed up for. I did, uh, uh, Jeffrey, I said, you win. Um, I actually <laughs> signed up for every service because I'm promiscuous that way. Uh, but I do cancel them. I certainly do cancel them and switch among them. Um, well, we're going we're gonna to earn you. And by the way, Meg is the CEO of the company. So CEO, I just I'm sorry, to, Meg's the CEO. You. You're the founder and you're the chairman, right? Correct? Yes. Okay. So um, this Meg Whitman, by the way, who founded eBay. Um, I'll, someday I'll tell you the story about when Meg got the job at eBay, what I told her. I said, you could make some money when she got it. She wasn't sure if she was going to take it when she was at, I think, Mattel at the time. She called me. Um, anyway, we want to know my favorite stuff is there. Uh, I like the money ones. I like the Thanks a Million. I love Jennifer. I love. I think it's adorable. I think those, I like those kind of did shows you, that are weird. Did you, did you watch uh, Lena Waits? Uh, no, but you, I'm going to. You ain't to. got these on sneakers? Is your, no, your I'm going son to watch, watch them? No, I'm going to have him watch it. How he old was, is he? he was, he's 14 and the other's 17. Um, yeah, interestingly, my mother is watching it, who's over right. in her over 80s, which is interesting right. before the kids do. The kids are not watching it, which is they didn't know about it. They didn't. It's not for it. them. It, it, no. it literally is not. It's it's for over 17 years old. No, it's yeah. it's, it's adult. The it's content's adult. adult. Yeah, you know, exactly. And, but I'm going to so, show him that. Um, I haven't seen the sneakers one. I have. I looked at the one with the woman from Game of Thrones just briefly, um, yep. but I didn't have Sophie, time. I was. I was actually Turner watching survived. the end of Homeland, uh, this, this, uh, and, <laughs> and trying to figure out Saturday Night Live whether I liked it or not. Um, but I, I watch a lot of things, but I do tend to watch a lot of things in clips, which is interesting. And I think I watch quite a, except for a few things, like I watched uh, Unorthodox. I've certainly sort of watched Tiger King in little bits and pieces, but I do definitely, and I think a lot of people do consume in bits and pieces. And this is yeah. the concept of whether you watch just the skit on set, you don't watch all of SNL, you watch just the skits that are broadcast on YouTube and things like that. Talk a little bit as a longtime Hollywood content maker. I don't think this is twitchy. I find a lot of entertainment, TikTok, I find twitchy. I find lots of stuff twitchy. Twitter is twitchy. Also, which never got into this video area in a very significant way, even though they tried. This is not twitchy. It's between twitchy and concentrated. So talk a little bit about the changing narrative scheme for Hollywood. 
Okay. So um, I, I actually think of this as the third generation of film narrative. You know, this is actually taking this tried, true, tested form of film narrative and just literally giving it to people in a new in a new convenient way that is compatible with the fact that they now have a television in their pocket all day long. And, you know, I think one of the things that Meg and I actually talked about again about whether we should launch now or wait for people to get back to a more traditional work pattern, because as you know, when we set out to do this car, we said that our use case was seven in the morning till seven at night for your in-between on-the-go moments. So when you're commuting on a train or waiting online for a Starbucks, well, guess what? We're not doing any of that stuff today. But interestingly, our viewing is mostly between seven in the morning and seven at night. We, huh. we, we, we see it every, we're coming in every minute of every day. It was just live data feeding in here in this. And we see starting around 6.30, seven in the morning, boom, it just kind of peaks up, right? And then sort of goes through. And at the end of the day, it starts to actually start to trail off there after around five or six or seven o'clock at night. Why? Because we ha- that's when our in-between moments are. Right. They're in between you're doing your work right now, whether your work is on a Zoom or on a laptop or answering your emails or, you know, homeschooling your children or keeping them occupied, whatever those things are, doing your chores around the home. We all have in-between moments. Now, they're different today than they were eight weeks ago, but they're not better or worse. And so this is for those in-between moments. And I think, again, I, I kind of like those twitchy also, I just, it's a different flavor. Right. But when you're talking about the idea of in between, you have someone who's made movies, really, you know, you have been a significant media executive for years. And one of the things we've also talked about is how slow Hollywood was to change about those ideas. When you think of in between moments, people think of commercials, like that's an in between moment or really good commercials, if you want to think about that. Has the mentality of Hollywood changed from that idea of that there can be a third way of doing things? Um, they they seem still seem rather disdainful of the YouTube or a TikTok. I don't think you should be disdainful of TikTok at all. Me neither. All I can say is is that every one of these media companies, traditional media companies, movie and TV companies, every one of them is an investor in Quibi, and more importantly, everyone is making content for us. There are suppliers. You know, if I if I go through the shows there and, you know, most dangerous game, you know, which is doing incredibly well. It was made by CBS mm-hmm. for us and Free Rayshon, which we just talked about, Antoine, Sony. And the show that just went up today called The Stranger, which is fantastic. I will look at Made it. by Dina Sud. I just, it is made by Fox, mm-hmm. Disney. So <laughs> they're all playing and they're leaning in and if you go to our daily essentials, which is our news and information, there are biggest suppliers for that too. And in terms of what, why they haven't been able to do it themselves, you know, Disney bought, and I'm totally blanking on the name of the company they bought. They bought they Maker, bought a, Maker Studio. Maker Studio. Right. They all tried, you know, and Fox has tried to get into this and have been largely unsuccessful. I can't think of a successful effort. And you know, you've run things when you watch the internet coming at you. How, why is that? Why did, they're supplying stuff, but they're not able to do it by themselves? Well, Talk I don't think anybody. But, but that answers your question and answers the question again, which is why did why did everybody? Because this is the first time ever, at mm-hmm. least I in my 
I don't think there's ever been another business in the history of Hollywood in which all eight companies actually all came and invested in a new business together. And I think the recognition here was it's not good enough just to make great content. You actually need to make a volume of it. Right. And the challenge here is, is that there's no library, right? So this is the first time anybody's ever launched a subscription service without the benefit of a catalog or Mm -hmm. a library. There's literally not a single one. Well, I guess I should say Apple is sort of quasi a little bit of buying some old stuff in it, but nobody else has ever Netflix had one. Disney Plus obviously has got the best of all of them, and you're about to see uh, HBO Max is going to have a brilliant offer, but they have a huge, massive library of content that makes the price value proposition for customers worthwhile. Quibi has had to make every single thing is de novo. Everything has actually been bespoke, made for us. And so today, right now, this week, there are 500 episodes and 54, 55 shows. No one company could have done it. Not literally. There is no, even Disney is So they'd only have bits and pieces of it. That's I'm thinking, it. Actually, there's one company that did try a little bit, which is Snapchat, which they tried with their, with their Discover service. And that was more around news. That was, but it was 10 minutes of, yeah. you know, my well, kids listen, were using it for sure. I admire them. Didn't I think work they, as well. They, it, well, here's what I would say, because Evan Spiegel's a brilliant talent. He and, is indeed. And he is an incredible entrepreneur and he's a great product, talent, and visionary. Mm-hmm. He isn't a storyteller. <laughs> right, right. And they never had inside their enterprise people that had that half of the equation ever mm-hmm. to this day. I, and I'm not taking anything away from it because I admire it. And I think what they're yeah. doing is great. And they it's were relying on partners to but, do that for and, them. But, it's, but even the curation of that, right? First of all, it's a different audience. It's for teenagers. They don't pay, mm-hmm. literally. So it's it's a different business model than what we're doing. But- uh, I, I think that the, the difference here is is that it's actually for the first time harnessing the skill sets that exist within resides within these studios into something that is an innovation for for them. And I have to say, every one of them is leaned in. And here's the thing: it's interesting when I look at it from a historical perspective. The companies, and it's why we, Meg and I, actually took the year that it took us to get the deals done with all of the studios is if you go back and you look at the roots of our industry. So the companies that were the dominant movie companies are in fact, the companies that ultimately saw embraced and became the leaders in television. They weren't at the outset, but they quickly pivoted to actually become that. And I actually think if we go five years forward and look back, we're going to see that the companies that actually are going to become the most important content suppliers of this new form of movies and chapters and, and, and shorter form media are going to be the TV companies because 80% of the showrunners are under contract to them mm-hmm. and they control 95% of the best IP. Mm-hmm. And the combination of those two things and the fact they just have all of the knowledge base and the facilities to do, to, to make the best content, I think this becomes a big growth opportunity for them. And I think that's their bet also. That's their belief. I think that's why they're supporting it, which is in success. It actually becomes 
you know, it, how, it how plays. How do you then, then get out of an experimental mode with them? Because if I was a studio executive right now, and I think you would do the same thing, I've never been one, but I'd be like, ah, I'll try it. Why not? Like Jeffrey Katzenberg's smart, Scott Med Whitman, like I'll, tr- what's the, there's no particular risk to trying this. No, well, they put a lot of money in. Yeah. Car. Yeah. I mean, I just have to say, not then they put reputational in it. I mean, literally, <laughs> you know, Bob Iger, you know, he's as big, big a supporter of us as anybody. John Stanky has just been a mm-hmm. huge supporter of us. Steve Burke and Jeff Shell have been like, they've, they've leaned in. They've right. leaned in and with an ambition to not just, you know, let's see what happened. You know, roll the dice, go right. put a little bet on the table. so much roll the dice. One of uh, one of the people, uh, a top person was like, "This, what, there's nothing to lose for me here except for some money. Like, and it's not that much money, like in terms of, of where it could go. I think it was like pretty much, in, and, and that they were failing at their own efforts at this. Yeah. They were sort of not able to, you're right, corral it in I, one I, I think it was the idea that the only way this actually would have would, can, will, in fact, succeed is if everybody got into one boat at one time and all started rowing in one direction. Yeah. Because Quibi is going to deliver almost 200 original shows in the first year and 9,600 episodes. Think about that. That's a lot. So how do you then decide one of the countries on Netflix is dumping shows and even shows that are good? How are you, what's the success for a show on this platform? Well, you'll be happy to hear I'm a, I'm a, I'm a data person now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you are well, kind of wonkish, Jeff. Yeah, no, no, I, but I have to say, well, first of all, here, here's the thing. My entire life, I have always believed that my boss, the person that I work for, is the audience. Never, ever not believed that ultimately they're the people that I work for and always have. And I have always tried in every way I could to benefit from their input and feedback. So of, in my career, I'm not sure anybody ever previewed movies more frequently you know, than I did. Not that they could tell you how to make a movie, but they're so valuable in an aid to judgment. Because here's the thing, if you've ever gone to a preview of a movie and it's a work in progress, if it's a comedy and you're sitting in a the theater and they don't laugh, you got a problem. Right. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so that's data, right? And today, Meg Whitman has built a platform here in which the amount of data and input that we are getting is dazzling. And I am confident that is going to help us win for our customers because they're talking to us every day. Well, what's the most important thing? Downloads, popularity. Sometimes no, things viewing. just have viewing. viewing. What Just do they watch? The, what do they like? What do they right like? now, I can tell you, it's it's interesting. You know, we put out the new episodes this morning, right? So we only publish Monday through Friday. Right. So Saturday and Sunday, people caught up. And I can just tell you already, first thing on, on Monday, the avalanche onto the eighth episode of these shows, because we put out, you know, we put out three of them on Monday last week and then one a day. So we put out seven episodes last week, and most of these shows have 10, 12, 14, 15 episodes long, right? The, 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 the amount of heat this morning on that eighth episode of our scripted shows, they just shot up through right. the roof. People came so back. They, what's they, working? What's actually working and what's not working so far? Or what are you too surprised early to by? Tell. It's way, way, what are way you surpri- too Is there anything you're surprised by? Well, here, I'll tell you what are the... Uh, I'll, I'll give you the top 10 shows, not 
uh, I'm giving you alphabetically, but they're right. but they're all in the world of they're all hits. Right. Okay. Chrissy's Court, mm-hmm. Chrissy Teigen's show, Dishmantled. Now I could tell you there's not a person that has written a review that said Dishmantled. It's, yeah, right. it's a great I don't even show. Know it. All right. Okay. <laughs> Have you seen it? Yeah. No, okay. I will now. Oh, please just go. It's the most ridiculous thing in the world. They All shoot right. a bunch of food and Titus Burgess has got this. It's hysterical. Okay. Um, All right. Flipped, which is the comedy, mm-hmm. uh, long form movie comedy. And uh, Most Dangerous Game, mm-hmm. the thriller yeah, yeah. With, with Liam Hensworth and Christoph mm-hmm. Waltz. Murder House Flip. So this is a where we've taken those two genres of sort of the sort of murder mystery shows that uh, you know, mm-hmm. true crime. Yeah. And then put it together with redoing houses like Chip and Joe. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Those two ideas. And they go and they have found a house that the, some terrible murder took place in the house and they redo the house. So sick. <laughs> okay. I'll look at that. But it's funny. I mean, it's, you'll see. Punked is huge. Yep. This is the, you know, brought yep. back. And if yep. you've not seen yep. that, must see. Survive. That's the Sophie Turner uh, movie. Mm-hmm. Skirt with Offset, which is where he goes off and uh, is driving in new kinds of, all kinds of crazy cars. Okay. Right? It's, you know, people in cars, you know, that are unusual uh, mm-hmm. cars. Thanks a Million, the Jennifer yep. Lopez show. Our morning news show from NBC. Mm-hmm. Big hit. And uh, When the Street Lights Go On, which is another... Uh, uh, scripted show. So I want to finish up because I know you have to go, uh, but what does this take from you? If you were running a studio, you saw, I can't imagine in your career you ever thought you would have like a murder flipped house and a car show and Chrissy Teigen having a court TV show. I know you presided over a lot of content, but it was a certain, you know, level of content. How do you, if you were a studio executive today, or maybe you wouldn't be one, how do you look at what's happening in content just overall? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure I would be one. I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, you are one. <laughs> the, the, uh, the, if I was starting over today, I, uh, yeah, I, I think I'd probably, well, there would have been a different, a different course altogether, but, mm-hmm. uh, I have been a storyteller my whole life and, and what we've done at Quibi, which is actually one of the most fun things of the job is, is that I, I actually went out, uh, about a year and a half, two years ago and literally interviewed 200 young executives from the movie and TV and Mm -hmm. industry. And I found 18 of them who I was just impressed with, right? Mm -hmm. Just in terms of their quality and their, you know, kind of their alphas and their extroverts. And I just was blown away by, by them. I hired 18 of them. Their average age is 30 years old. They are incredibly reflective of our audience, so they are actually quite diverse uh, and and inclusive, just in just the whole balance of that. And their job is to find things they love and to love them enough that I can't talk them out of it. So right. if you're asking if I'm making the choices, not so much. I'm actually mm-hmm. just asking a lot of questions and saying to them, guys, you have to make mistakes that I haven't made. You gotta make new mistakes. Things that I know that haven't worked or have seen that haven't worked that I've learned over the years. And so honestly, this content is much more reflective of them. And I just keep a, a reasonably, you know, a bar 
that I, I, I ask them to rise up to in the things that they say I love. So last question, are you bullish on Hollywood now or do you think there's even such a thing? Well, it's a hard time to ask that question. I, yeah, I, I'm, of course. I, Hollywood, like a, a number of industries, is <clears throat> going to actually have structural changes and challenges yeah, that are going to come. To. But again, I have always felt it's the community I live in and have grown up in. And I believe it's actually a pretty, when they need, you know, when the when the going gets tough, they, they get going. They are, adversity is the mother of invention out here. And I think they are going to look at and see these changes and realize like it's not it's not business is not going back to to normal. And you have some great leaders here, people like Jeff Shell, who are, you know, ready to actually shake it up, do unique things. You look at Bob Iger, made the biggest bet of anybody in terms of what he's done and, you know, obviously challenges in the existing businesses. But you look at the bet that he made, you know, on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. which was about, it was a bet about what the business needed to look like 10 and 20 years into the future, not what right. it looked like in the next quarter of this in it. And I think it's going to prove to be, you know, one of the most amazing, you know, game-changing bets for any corporation in America, you know, buying Fox, pulling all of his content in, going direct to the consumer, you know, he just changed his entire model of his business. And, you know, he was doing great. They were great earnings, great and he just said, well, that's not going to be a good enough future for us. So they're they're pretty innovative people out here. And I, I, I don't think anybody can look at a crystal ball today and tell you what it looks like six weeks or six months from now. But you're asking in the long run, do I think that Hollywood will pivot in the ways in which it's going to have to to face a, a different culture and society, which we all are going to have to do? The answer is, yeah, they will, for sure. All right, Jeffrey. It. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I do recommend you try Quibi. I actually like it quite a bit. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Erica Anderson, is at Erica America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey Hey ESJ. Jeffrey, where can people find you online? Yeah, you, you can find me at Quibi. Jeffrey Quibi, at Quibi. What about personally? Are you on Twitter, Jeffrey? I'm anonymously everywhere. <laughs> Oh, oh, no, that's frightening. Uh-oh. All right, if you, if you I'm, like this. I'm, I'm everywhere and nowhere. Oh, that's I, I have a, scary. I, I literally, I have a burner phone. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm on I'm on TikTok. I'm on everything. I promise right, you I'm okay. everything, but you can't find me. <laughs> I shall not look. Okay, if you like this episode, you really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend and make sure to check out our other podcast, Pivot, Reset, Recode Media, and Land of the Giants. Just search for them in your podcasting app of choice or tap the link in the show notes. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Robbie. Special thanks to Squadcast.fm, who's been helping us out with these remote podcasts. Thank you for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Friday. Tune in then. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply.